Good morning, everybody. It feels right at home uh, to be here with all of you and want to thank our senior pastor, Mike Householder, for sending that quick greeting. He couldn't be here this morning because he had this lame excuse that he had to preach. I don't know what's up with that, but uh, we're very thankful that he could do that for us. And it is a great reminder, as Gus said, that Hope is one church, multiple locations, and not only the hundreds that are here today, but there are thousands of people across all of Hope's campuses that are worshiping today and celebrating with us. Uh, my, my phone was blowing up with texts uh, this morning uh, from the rest of the pastors and staff uh, hope just uh, thanking us, thanking you for your faithfulness and mission. So I just want to pass all that praise uh, on to you and just say thank you for being an awesome church uh, and for light too. We're very thankful for light uh, uh, as well. But it is good to be together as God's family day. And if you're new, uh, if you're visiting, if you're from another one of Hope's campuses, if you saw our signs out on the road and you came wandering in, uh, we are so glad that you are here. Uh, no matter how long you've been here, uh, we love new people at Hope. Today is a day that we've been uh, planning for uh, and working towards and praying for with great anticipation for the last six years as we've been meeting at Hubble Elementary School. If this is your first time here, this is our first time here too. So we're all in the same boat uh, this morning and we're so glad that you're here and you're not there because if you were there, you'd be very confused. So just elbow your neighbor and say, congratulations, you're in the right place. Just tell them that this morning, you're in the right place. Um, some of you have a lot of fun with that. You're like, bam, and knock them over. Um, it's at times like this, it's on days like this where there's a lot of excitement and there's a lot of anticipation and there's a lot of buzz and there's a new church in town, there's a new church in the neighborhood. There are a lot of questions that swirl around. So what's this new church gonna be all about? Why did they move from an elementary school gym to a car dealership? What's up with these people? Why is everybody here so weird? And I have to tell you, we weren't weird until you got here this morning. I don't, I don't know what happened. But why did, they, why did they move here? And more, you know, more seriously, what will this new church be like? And maybe more personally, maybe you're wondering this morning, is there a place for me here? Is there a place for me to connect? Is there a place in this family? Maybe not physically if you're sitting in the lobby, but there's a place for you here. There's been a lot written, in fact, there's been a, a lot of examples out there throughout the centuries of what a church in the city should look like, of what urban ministry should look like. And I just kind of want to walk you through a, a jet tour of that as we're kind of asking that question. So what are we going to do now? We've got this beautiful new church home. Now what are we going to do? What does it mean to be a church in the city? Well, first of all, I think there's a category, there's churches that are in the city, I'm not talking about anything specifically, just generically. There's our churches that are in the city. The desire is to get people in the doors so they can hear the gospel, and that's awesome, but often that's where it ends. The ministry rarely extends to the people outside the walls. There's churches that are in the city that are geographically there, but they aren't effectively engaged with the people and the culture around them. Secondly, we could be a church that's against the city. Sometimes the church often has, and maybe that's been your experience in the past with the church, is the church is against culture. This church may be in an urban area, but the surrounding culture is something to be avoided. The culture and the world out there in the dark world is, is dark and evil. Or the third approach is we could be a church of the city. Kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, this church just embraces the culture around them so much in an effort to be hip or trendy, which we're never going to do because I'm never going to be hip and trendy, uh, but they often lose the brightness of their light because they tried so hard to blend in. 
that they'd ever stuck out. I don't like any of those, really. I don't think any of those are the right answer. So we turn to God's word. We turn to his blueprint for what does it mean to be a church in the city. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, that's fine. Just don't text. Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, I'd love to see as many of you with your Bibles out and follow along with this. We're going to explore Jeremiah chapter 29, and we're going to start at verse 4. Jeremiah is in the Old Testament, so it's going to be towards the beginning of your Bible. Jeremiah 29. What does it mean to be a church in the city? When we arrive on the scene in Jeremiah 29, we find God's people, they are in exile, and they're in Babylon. They're in a city that is not their own. They're in a brand new place. They're in a city that's dark and broken and in need of hope. Can you relate? I think we see that all around us. So if you and I are in that position, the last thing on our mind would be, I don't want to associate with these people. They're from a, they're different nationalities, so they're from a different country. This is not our home. Let's just keep to ourselves and not really engage with anyone else. So in chapter 29, God gives this startling challenge to his people. Verse 4, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may too have sons and daughters, increase in number there, do not decrease. And then let's read verse 7 together, nice and loud up on the screen. Let's read this together. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Wait a minute, what? God's people are saying, you actually want us to put down our roots here in this new city. Absolutely, God says as new and unfamiliar as it might be, and you don't know how long you're going to be here, God says, I want you to pour into your little corner of the world like you're going to be there the rest of, my, rest of your life. Be my people. Raise families. And most importantly, work for the good of the city. Even pray for it. Be people who are a fourth way for the city. Be people who are for the city. And this is what that means if you want a definition. A church that commits itself to the spiritual and social well-being of the city and yet doesn't compromise the message of the gospel one bit because nothing, and hear me say this, nothing will ever be more relevant than the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's what God has called us to be, is to be a church for the city. In fact, I'll just be honest with you this morning. You might have come here and you're like, wow, all these bells and whistles and the sound and lights and all this stuff. You can strip it all away. You can strip it all away. And the one thing that remains is that we love Jesus Christ and we know that we are loved by him. Don't miss the reason. Don't miss the motivation and the driving force behind everything that we do here. Above and beyond anything else, even the donut holes, people. Above and beyond everything else, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. When people describe Hope Des Moines, when they, the buzz starts going around town, and what's this new church down on Ingersoll all about? What do you think they say? Oh, aren't they that church that used to meet at that one elementary school? Aren't they that, that church that, that has the buses go out, and, and, and don't they kind of do some outreach stuff and, and serve the poor and, and all that? And all that's true. But my deepest desire is that when people are talking about this place, and more importantly, us as a church, this isn't the church, you're the church. 
My number one desire, they would say, oh, Hope Des Moines. Oh, they're passionate about Jesus. They're passionate about Jesus. And everything else kind of flows out of that. Because they're passionate about Jesus, they serve the poor and they serve the city and they renovate car dealerships and they gather in groups and they invite their friends because in the end, buildings don't change lives. Only Jesus can change lives. Amen? Amen. That's what we're called to be about. Someone walked in here the other day and they were kind of looking around and they said, John, it's not a huge room, but don't you think that cross is a little bit too big? And I said, nope. And I walked away. Yeah. Um, it's 350, 350 pounds of pine, handmade, and I wish it was bigger. Because that's all we've got. If we don't have the work of Jesus Christ, if we don't have the grace and the love of what Jesus Christ did on that cross, none of this matters. We need him so desperately, and we need him more now than we ever have. So no, the cross isn't too big. I'd love to blow it up, because that's what we're about. When we started as a church, our missions team was out, and they were praying through these neighborhoods and praying through the city, and we came across this question that they discovered in some of their research. And it was a very provocative question, and it kind of framed the first six years of who we've been as a church. And the question was this, if your church just went away, if Hope Des Moines just disappeared tomorrow, and it was gone, would anybody notice? Not just us here, like you would notice because there wouldn't be anything here, but how about the people that aren't here yet? How about the people that don't know Jesus or don't have a church home? This question said, would anyone notice? Would the city miss you? And last but not least, if your church disappeared tomorrow, would the city weep because you were gone? And that question... (laughs) That got under my skin, and that really framed who we've been as a church because in a broke and dark world, people realize how desperate they are for the light, and the local church can be that light. And so the past five years, that's been our desire. And we've made great progress, but in many ways, I feel like we're just getting started. But thanks to Scripture, today we have the blueprint, not just for where we've been, but for where we're going as a church. How exactly do you be a church for the city? Our lives increasingly look like Jesus Christ. And I know that seems oversimplified, but that's what our scripture passage is all about today. So flip over to the New Testament now to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and I want to explore what does it mean to look like Jesus and be a church for the city. This should be a familiar text this time of year. It's used around Advent. John chapter 1, and we're going to go right to verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. If you're new to the Bible, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about two-thirds of the way through the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I love how the message version translates this. It says, the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. That's rather timely for us today, isn't it? The word Jesus became flesh, became God with skin on, became incarnate. That's where we get the word incarnation in our world. He lived with us. And instead of staying at a distance, 
God knew that in order to reach the ones that he wanted to love, he had to go. And at the end of his ministry, Jesus then turns to us as his followers and his disciples in John chapter 20, and he says this. Let's read this together nice and loud. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Let's read this together. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. In other words, Jesus says, as I was sent, now I'm sending you. You can't look like Jesus as a church and wait for broken and hurting people who don't know Jesus to come to you. If we're going to be a church for the city, we're called to be people who go. Number one, we're called to be people who go. Everybody say, go! go. Reminds me of a story uh, a friend told me. Does anybody remember the Christian band DC Talk? Wow, I struck a chord there. So I was a huge DC Talk fan, and one of my buddies, so this is... Toby, Michael, and Kevin, uh, they started out rapping, and I could rap all their songs. I'm not going to do that for you this morning, but one of my friends went to one of their concerts, and it was one of this big, big, huge festival, like 100,000 people, this big Christian music festival, and they were so popular. They were so cool. They had an album named Jesus Freak. Yeah, Jesus Freak, right? So they're getting done with their show, and it's a big, huge stage, and there's thousands of people out in the crowd, and people are, like, running up to the stage, and there's this big mosh pit, and they're coming up and saying, hey, can you sign my hat or this piece of paper or my forehead or whatever? People want these autographs, and so people are pushing and pushing towards the stage, and these guys are, are worldwide known rock stars, and Michael Tate, uh, the guy right in the middle uh, with the microphone there, the, the guy in the white, he kind of looks out in the crowd over the sea of people and he just starts walk. He just gets off the stage and he starts walking down and the bodyguards are like freaking out like, no, Michael, don't go. And he just starts walking down through the crowd all the way to the back. And as he's walking down, there's like people shoving in and shoving people out of the way, trying to get to him. And he just kind of gently pushes people away and he just stays focused and he keeps walking all the way. And as he gets closer, there's different fans, you know, these fanatics are going, is he coming for me? Is he coming for me? This is going to be amazing. He's a rock star. And he just keeps walking and he just keeps walking and he just keeps walking and he gets to the back. And there's a 15 year old boy in a wheelchair named Joshua who's the biggest DC Talk fan in the world. And Michael Tate wades through hundreds and thousands of people and walks all the way to the back of this great big open field. And he comes up to Joshua in his wheelchair and he kneels down and he says, Hi, I'm Michael and I'm here for you. Whoa. <laughs> oh. He said, I'm here for you. Can you just breathe that in for a second this morning? You may feel this morning like you are a face in the crowd. But Jesus Christ, if we know anything about Christmas, Jesus came down from the throne room of heaven, down the driveway, and into our broken, messy world, and he walks right into your world today, right into your circumstances, and he says, Hi, I'm here for you. I want a relationship with you. I don't want to just settle for mere religion here, folks. I want a relationship with you. And I'll never forget that story because I think that's the incarnation. That's Christmas. That's this time of year in a nutshell. The God of the universe comes up to you and he walks right down to you this morning. He says, I am calling you just as I have been sent and come to you. Now you go. Now you go into a broken and messy world but you can't do that from the comfort of your seat. We are not about coming and sitting in a seat for an hour a week. That's not the kind of church this is because that's not the kind of savior we have. 
You have to get out of your seat. You have to get out of your comfort zone. If being missional is to go, incarnational is to stay. Everybody say stay. Stay. So if we're going to be a church for the city, first we go and then we stay. Whether it's a, a, a contract or the, at the fitness center or relationships or sometimes serving the city, we hate long-term commitments. We really struggle with long-term commitments as a city. But if we, as a people, if we learn anything from Jesus, it's that mission requires staying. Mission requires incarnation. It requires a long-term commitment. There's a friend of mine that is a pastor in Tacoma, Washington, and his name is Jeff, and he went there about a decade ago and he, to plant a church. And so he was wanting to be a church for the city and get to know different people. Kind of like us as we're moving into the neighborhood, he went and he talked to the mayor. He's got the keys to the city. So he went and talked to the mayor. And Jeff said, you know, here's all the plans that I have. I want to serve the city and I want to get involved and we're going to do all these things. We're going to open up this big new building, fancy building, and we're going to have worship here. And the guy just said, Jeff, just stop. The mayor of Tacoma just said, you can just hang on a second. Jeff, I love, I love your ideas. I love your vision. And I want you to know I'm not against it. I just want you to know I'm a little jaded. I'm a little jaded. Because I'm tired of people coming to our city to plant their church. And then leave in a couple years when it gets hard. And when it gets messy and when it doesn't give people the warm fuzzies that they want every weekend, and most importantly, when it doesn't give them notoriety, then they leave. And uh, this Christmas season, I'm reminded that Jesus came, and he dwelt among us for 30 years. And all he did was listen and serve and love. Before he even started his ministry, Jesus came and dwelt among us for 30 years, and he wasn't even noticed. Are we willing to not be noticed? Are we willing to be the kind of church that doesn't just go, but stays, and gets our hands messy in the lives of people here in the city, and loves them no matter what the cost, even if it's out of our comfort zone, and even if it's inconvenient for our schedules? Go, but will you stay, Jesus asks. Of the many questions you hear this Christmas season, be challenged by that this morning. Will you stay? Jesus wasn't noticed, he just loved because that was his mission. Are we willing to stay? Are you willing to stay and be a part of this family so that we can convince the people of the city that we love them with our lives? Love, when it comes down to it, is about action. As DC Talk would say, Love is a verb. Love is a verb. Will you stay? Stay and let yourself be known here. Stay and be a part of this family. Stay and put your roots down deep. Stay and learn what it means to be family here. In fact, this past year, I ended up preaching out at our West Des Moines campus a a bit more than normal. Pastor Mike was on sabbatical, and so we were all taking some turns out there. And so I come back here, and people say, so what do you talk about when you go out there? Do you, like, you know, do something different or whatever? Like, what do you talk about when you go out out to to preach at Hope West Des Moines? And I say, you. I preach about you. I tell them all about 
you. And usually it's the same group of people over and over again. And my sermon illustrations, because it's usually the guys that I meet with in my men's group. It's those of you that I've been able to sit by your hospital beds or officiate your wedding or those of you that helped us move into our personal home in 95 degree heat. (laughs) People come up and say, why do you keep talking about the same people, John, over and over and over again? And I say, well, I didn't leave. (laughs) Like, I'm still here. These people live in my neighborhood. You live on my block. They're they're my family. I'm not going to stop talking about them. I mean, do, do you stop talking about your kids, right? I, I, had, a, I had a kid once. They, they were born once. No, you don't, you don't just leave it there. You keep talking about them. They're your family. Stay and make the city your family. You don't just say, I had a kid once and then never talk about them again. I hope not. <laughs> Stay and make the city your family. Don't make the incarnation just about Christmas. Make it a lifestyle all year round. We go and we stay, and last but not least, importantly, we love. Everybody say love. love. The final key to being a church for the city is a commitment to love. And it seems daunting. It seems overwhelming. How in the world does a church love the city? You start one heart at a time. Several years ago, one of our uh, leaders was walking out of... Hubble, and we've been doing this breakfast club ministry for the last five years, and a lot of you are here today because of that ministry, because of the people that serve you and come and and pick you up on the buses. And by the way, if you don't know this, breakfast club was held this morning at Gusto Pizza Company down the way. Uh, If you were here, yeah, praise God for that. Um, (laughs) We ran into a snafu a couple weeks ago. We realized we had some construction... uh, stuff and we can't use our mezzanine space up here for a few weeks. And so my wife and I were eating uh, lunch at Gusto the other day and Tiffany says, why don't you just ask him if we can eat here? And I go, they're not going to let us eat. They're not going to do that. (laughs) Anything good that's happened in this church is because of her, by the way. So um, (laughs) ladies, amen. Amen. She walks up to him, explains what we're doing. And the manager says, yeah, why not? Come on in. We'll give you a key. So we had, we had our breakfast club ministry at Gusto Pizza Company this morning, and we're going to probably for the next six to eight weeks. And it's an incredible opportunity, but nothing changes, and here's why. This is what we're about. A couple years ago, one of our breakfast club leaders was walking out of the school, and a couple of you that are part of that ministry, I don't even know, you may not be here this morning, it may be somebody else, but you were walking out. A couple guys had their arm around each other, and they're walking through an elementary school hallway with little kid lockers on either side. And we just did church, you know. And these two guys are walking out of the building. I think, I think what this guy overheard was one guy said, man, I love bacon. <laughs> and then the other guy said, you know what? It's like they really love us here. Success. Success. Not having a building. This is not success. That's Success. That's success. That's a win. That's what we're about. Buildings don't change people's lives. Love changes lives, particularly the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. And that's why we do what we do. And that can happen at a pizza company, a car dealership, or an elementary school. If you know anything about Christmas, God likes to show up in some pretty strange places like a feeding trough. So we're on a good track. 
What does it mean to love the city? How do we get more of that? How do we keep more of that? And so I thought, well, let's ask the experts on love. If we're going to really love the city and have a relationship with the city, let's ask the experts. And so I thought, well, really, the experts on love and romance in general are eight-year-old kids. So this is what they have to say. This is called Advice on Love and Marriage. This is from Timmy, age seven. You ready for this? Guys, take notes. Spend most of your time loving instead of going to work. This is from Ricky, age seven. Tell your wife that she looks pretty even if she looks like a truck. You writing this down? Okay. This is from Aaron, age eight. Don't forget your wife's name. That will mess up the love. This is from Bobby, age eight. Be a good kisser. It might make your wife forget that you never take out the trash. This is from May. She's age nine. No one is sure why it happens, this little love thing, but I heard it has something to do with how you smell. That's why perfume and deodorant are so popular. This is from Tom, age five. Once I'm done with kindergarten, I'm going to find me a wife. <laughs> and last but not least, this is from Anita, age nine. When somebody has been dating for a while, the boy might propose to the girl. And if he doesn't, the girl usually says, hey, punk, what's the deal? <laughs> and you know what? Believe it or not, she's got a point. Because any man will tell you, after a while, if you have been pursuing a woman, she starts asking, what's the deal? Right? Is this going anywhere? And most importantly, the question, are you committed to me? Will you stay? Is this love for real? Are we actually going to be in a relationship? Because that creates commitment and that creates safety. And so five years ago, a strapping young Lad sat at a Hope Des Moines men's group with five other men staring across the table at him over donuts and coffee, looking him right in the eye, saying, Preacher boy, what's the deal? Are you going to marry this woman or not? You punk. <laughs> because at some point, you have to stop talking about commitment and do it. And just do it. And so on New Year's Day, of 2009, fresh off an Iowa football bowl victory, and needed some motivation. I was a nervous wreck. And I got down on one knee, and with a ring in my finger, I asked Tiffany Elizabeth Weir if she would be my wife. And she cried a lot, and so I said, Was that a yes? And we hugged and we held hands and we did some of that. And I told Tiffany, I said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm committed to you. I'm here to stay. And this ring is a daily reminder to me that I'm not in this relationship just to get my needs met. I'm in this relationship to serve. And my hope and my prayer is that every single time you walk in those doors to this building, that this building would be a daily reminder that we are committed to the city and that we're not just here to get our needs met. We're here to get down on one knee just like our Savior did with a 
towel and a basin of water and say to the city, we're here to serve. We are committed to you. We're not going anywhere. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Go, stay, love. And on this day, I could not be more proud of you as a church. You're an amazing church, and you go, and you stay, and you love so well. And so on this special day, when so many people are thinking, here's your big launch, John. Oh, no. We've been the church for the last six years, and God has done incredible things. Incredible things through so many of you and through so many faithful hours of service and dedication. And folks, we're just getting started. So as we look forward, let's take a few minutes to look back at the ride that it's been. Let's take a look. God didn't just build a church these past few months. He's built a church over the last six years, and it's you. And greater things are still to come in this city. Amen? I don't know if you can feel it this morning, but there's a buzz in this room. There's a spirit. And one of the phrases that's been a part of hope for a long time is K 